Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mick Beale to my Ian Beale. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm, I'm very good. I'm feeling loyal. I'm feeling like I'm going to uh, follow up on my promises that I've made to the viewers and never leave this podcast, never going to jump ship, etc, etc. That's always good to hear. <laughs> Thank you for the reassurance. Uh, what you made of the World Cup, Justin? The latest well, that's happened? Um, I was... Absolutely glued to my screen on Monday. Um, obviously, there was the the Ghana game. What game was it now? It was Cameroon. Uh, the Abubakar flick. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, my God. That was incredible. Incredible sorcery. It was just absolutely outstanding. And the fact that he said he was better than Salah or he said he could do everything that Salah could do, I took that with a pinch of salt, to say the very least. But actually, I might be convinced. Yeah, there's also Kudus as well, who said he's better than Neymar. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very, very much enjoying the confidence of these African players. But so far, I mean, Abubakar's had a better tournament than Salah has, um, and Kudus has had That's a better true. tournament than Neymar has. So That's both true. Yeah, maybe they weren't just <laughs> jesting all the time. Maybe they were telling the truth. Um, England are through. Wales are out. Anything on that matter? I was lambasting Marcus Rashford. I was watching it on my own at home and I was swearing at the television. Every attack broke down with him. And I think I, think, I, think I sent a message on WhatsApp to, to a friend and said, he's terrible, he needs to go off. And then he put that free kick away. Mm. And then it's two minutes later, yeah, and then two minutes later, he created the, uh, he created the goal, the, the phone goal by winning the ball back. And then he scored another. What do I know? What do I know? Yeah, I head into the knockout stages thinking England... I've got a great chance of winning, probably the best chance of winning since 2006. I don't think they've got anyone to fear because I don't think anyone has particularly stood out so far. So why not? I wasn't getting too carried away for that USA game. I think it just depends on what Gareth Southgate does because I'm still not completely convinced about him as a manager. Quick word on Wales. Very disappointing. I think Gareth Bale should have not played as much as he did because it was quite clear that he was very off the pace throughout the whole tournament. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything apart from score that penalty against America. Aside from that, he was awful. And when you've got someone like Brennan Johnson on the bench, Mm -hmm. who's, you know, a Premier League player not playing, I think that's quite a shame for Wales. But yeah, wasn't impressed with them at all, Justin. Yeah, it's really disappointing, actually. I think I sent a message tongue-in-cheek asking why Rob Page hadn't been sacked yet. Um, I was just massively disappointed with them. Um, I thought they've got the perfect group of players to set up in a counter-attacking, um, in, in, just in a counter-attacking system, and they didn't really do that. They didn't deploy them. Obviously, Dan James was deployed as a false nine in the first game as well. Um, yeah, just not very tactically astute by Rob Page at all. Yeah, really disappointing. 
and it seems like this is the end of a golden generation for Wales as well, doesn't it? What happens next? I think they've got some exciting young players coming through, but you know, in the past few years, they've relied on the likes of the star quality of Bale and Ramsey, haven't they? And it doesn't seem like anyone of that kind of quality is coming through, unless I'm seriously forgetting someone. So, yeah, quite sad that Wales, this is the epitome of their, well, probably the Euros actually as well, but you see what I mean. This mm-hmm. is like the epitome of what they've accomplished over the past few years and it's just kind of fizzled out isn't it Mm. Um, so there you go that's your World Cup roundup from us at the second tier all done in three minutes you don't need to listen to any other podcast (laughs) because now we're back onto the championship welcome to the number one championship specific podcast East second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are today we're going to be doing a one hour preview of Sunderland v Millwall I'm joking I'm joking (laughs) we're not doing that we will be talking about that on Sunday, but we're not even going to think about that ep- that random game that's happening during this World Cup break in this episode. Instead, today, we're ranking all the managers in the Championship. Yep, we're doing this one again. I did think to myself, are we scraping the barrel doing this again so soon after doing it in the summer? But since we did that list, literally more than half the managers have moved. Yeah. Alex Neil is now the 13th longest serving manager in the Championship, and he's been at Stoke for three months, Justin. That is mental, isn't it? <laughs> That's the championship, though, isn't it? You could, uh, you could be the in the job for three days and be one of the longest-serving managers um, in in the second tier. It's, yeah, it's just a, it's just a bonkers league. But I just think because of the World Cup break as well, it's just I think many owners and um, yeah, chief execs maybe lost their asses a little bit and just panicked. I think that's been the case with several decisions that have been made that I don't think needed to be made. You know, I don't think Steve Morrison needed to be sacked. Obviously, Rob Edwards didn't need to be sacked. Um, I mean, the list is longer. The fact that I can't even remember half the managers that have been sacked already. Um, so I think that's just quite a testament to the, the quantity that already has already have got. Yeah, you say that you say this is just the championship. I think I haven't checked, but this has got to be the most managers ever sacked in a championship season yeah. quite easily because it's just been remarkable how many have either resigned, sacked, or moved on elsewhere. Um, But anyway, we're doing this over two parts. Today, we're going to be revealing 24th to 11th and then our top 10 on Sunday. Why are we only doing half today and not, you know, half of the weekend? Uh, Well, someone decided it was a good idea to put Sunderland v Millwall this weekend. So we've got to cover that in some form, plus news at the weekend too. So uh, we're basing this list on how much we would want each manager in charge of our club. A really important point that, because I think that's the only thing we can base this on, like, how can you compare how good a manager Michael Carrick is to Tony Mowbray, right? You can't. So I feel that's the only way we can rank these managers, Justin. Yeah, and I think it's really important to emphasise as well that there's no bias here. We don't dislike any of these managers. Um, I mean, you can argue that we're biased against every club. We have an agenda against every club, but then that would balance out as not having an agenda against anybody. Um I mean, my my responses here are going to be based purely on, as you said, who who do I want in my in charge of my football club? And my football club in this scenario is a is a championship club um, who obviously will be you know going in going into the season with high hopes, or maybe possibly trying to avoid relegation. So it's, it's the manager you want in charge of that scenario. Yeah. It sounds a lot better than how your actual club is doing. Um, And it is worth mentioning, we're including Mick Beale on this list because he's only just left QPR and why not? Stop hitting, Justin. Also worth mentioning, this is just a bit of fun. 
Feel free to share your thoughts with us on this list, but please don't get too wound up on it. Life's too short to get very annoyed about how much Justin Peach rates Paul Ince. Uh, but before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out fans bet responsible gambling tools so one more thing we really should be getting underway with these manager rankings but one more thing before we begin as always whenever we do anything like this justin and i both make a list each and then we put them together and form a combined table made up of roughly the average positions so we'll start off with 24th justin which is mark fotheringham of huddersfield now we can only go off what we've seen of these managers in their careers so far and mark fotheringham's had a very short one and it's also been a very unsuccessful one so mm. far. So Huddersfield weren't very good before he came in, and they haven't been very good since he's come in. We can give him a bit, a bit of slack because I suppose um, he is a fairly young manager. He hasn't been in the job long, and let's be honest, the squad isn't very good. It's not really his fault that Huddersfield looked like they're on a one-way course for League One right now. However... I haven't seen anything really to suggest this guy will be someone who we're talking on the podcast beyond this season. There are little things that I find a bit strange about him, seemingly not remembering the names of players like Yuta Nakayama when speaking to the media. He called him the Japanese left-sided centre-half. Um, and then you pointed out before as well, Justin, that he likes to watch the subs at half-time when he really should be in the changing rooms. But Mark Fotheringham as a manager... We haven't learned much about him so far, but I can't say I've been particularly impressed about what we have seen. Yeah, um, I will go straight into the positives before I go on to the, the more balanced stuff. I think they have tightened up defensively. XG-wise, you don't concede too many chances, especially not as many chances as they were under Danny Schofield. So I think that deserves a fair bit of credit. He has tightened them up. But as a head coach coming into a team who are... Um, who are facing the the barrel of relegation or staring down the barrel of relegation, I should say. Um, They don't create enough chances in the final third and they sure as hell don't score enough either. Um, I still think they've scored just one goal from open play, which is that Nakayama cross, um, which is quite frightening that they're unable to create chances outside of set pieces because I think um, the two goals they scored against QPR were both from set pieces. Um, So there's a a major problem there. So if if I'm... wanting to to bring in a coach who can steer my team away from relegation based on the evidence I've seen so far Mark Fotheringham wouldn't be that man but to his credit he has improved Huddersfield defensively yeah let's sum it up this way shall we if we were the supporter of your average championship club and they decided right we're going to appoint Mark Mark Fotheringham you'd go what why what the hell are you thinking (laughs) what has made you go with that um and that's the best way we can sum up why he's bottom of the list. Who have we got 23rd, Justin? We've got Mark Hudson, which I think was quite harsh, maybe. Of Cardiff City. Why have we got him there? I mean, I think, again, based on the limited data pool we have with the amount of games that Cardiff have um, played so far with Mark Hudson in charge, not seen too much of an improvement from them. Um, again, they're a team that did need more reinforcements in the summer so it's a shame really that Steve Morrison lost his job down to the lack of availability in forward areas um, and variety and experience Um, and Mark Hudson seems to be suffering from the same 
um, symptoms that uh, Steve Morrison's side did. Um, so he sort of got a point towards personnel available rather than actual style of play. Um, there have been positives. I mean, the, the first three games under him were good, but it's slowly followed into you know a poor run of form, not creating enough chances, and again not putting them away. Um, and that's sort of the the telltale sign of a manager who's yet to find his uh, not niche but area where he's going to excel at with the team that he's got available to him. Well, when Steve Morrison got sacked and Mark Hudson came in as caretaker, Cardiff were 18th. Two and a half months later, they're now 19th. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. It's difficult to look at what Mark Hudson has done at Cardiff and point out what's got better, if anything. So I I was supportive of the decision to sack Morrison, but I don't see what the point of that was if you're going to replace him with another inexperienced manager, or a yeah. manager who's got no experience at all. In fairness to Hudson, I don't think the squad is great. I've said that multiple times. They've got four or five good championship players in there. The rest, questionable. And also, since we're mainly basing this list on how much we will want the manager at our club, the lack of attacking threat certainly wouldn't get me excited. (laughs) That might not be Hudson's fault, but it doesn't seem like he has a solution forthcoming, Justin. So there isn't really much to look at at the job that Mark Hudson's doing at Cardiff and going, yes, that's a manager I want at my club. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've pretty much nailed it. It's, you've got to look at what's in front of you, and that's the games that Mark, uh, Cardiff have played under under Mark Hudson. There's not been a resounding improvement to make me suggest that. Well, he's, he's a much he's a, he's a big improvement on Steve Morrison, isn't he? Um, I mean, time will tell. Time will tell. Things might improve for Cardiff over over time, but they're in a precarious position themselves. And as I say, I don't want a manager coming into my club who is not got any uh, not got any standout traits. In 20 seconds, we've got Michael Appleton of Blackpool. Now, Justin, you actually had Appleton's second bottom on your list. So why was that? Um, I've defended Appleton a fair bit. And again, you need to caveat Appleton with the situation he's got at Blackpool. The amount of defensive injuries he's had, the amount of the occasions where he's had to rotate the back four. It's not ideal and it's certainly not a settled side. So you can imagine why they concede as many chances as they do and concede as many goals as they do. Um, But that being said, Blackpool's results have been poor. There's a lot of fan frustration towards Appleton. Um, And I think we're just seeing perhaps Appleton not out of his depth, but certainly he's perhaps not a championship manager. Um, He's done very well at lower league clubs, Lincoln, Oxford. Um, There's another one in there that I'm forgetting, but he's done, he's done very well at clubs in the lower leagues. Um, And perhaps that might be ceiling. And I think we're seeing that now. Um, He's a good coach and he gets a lot of good youngsters. Um, But for me, Blackpool have regressed under him from the Neil Critchley season. Well, yeah, his managerial record's very mixed, isn't it? You're quite right. Good spells at Oxford and Lincoln, elsewhere, it's a bit meh. And this spell at Blackpool is very meh. He's a manager I struggle to justify being any higher in this list and a manager I also struggle to justify being any lower. Ultimately, when he came in, Blackpool had just had a solid season in the Championship where they were never at any point in danger of going down. Since then, they're now very in danger of going down. And... In his defence, I think other clubs have got better over the summer, while Blackpool didn't. They brought in some bright young players who have looked good on occasion, but only on occasion. Also lost Josh Bowler, who was a one-man wrecking crew at times for Blackpool. Mm. So they could have done with solidifying this summer, but they haven't. And that's not necessarily his fault, but it's certainly not helped. But I don't think it's 
he's been helped by the supporters there not being wholly convinced by him after his previous spell at Bloomfield Road and winning around the supporters is always a difficult thing to Mm -hmm. do when you're fighting an uphill battle so in summary Michael Appleton's very lucky to still have a job over this World Cup break but it wouldn't surprise me to see him lose that job over the next few games once we get back, Justin. In 21st place, we have Colo Torre, now of Wigan Athletic, after that was confirmed finally this week. Um, Of course, we don't have anything to go off with Colo Torre, which would justify him being any higher in this list. I think his time in charge of Wigan could be very, very successful. But what I can say is it can't be much worse than how it's going for... Mark Fotheringham at Huddersfield, for example. So he's walking into a difficult situation, isn't he? Because of concerns about the club's financial situation, the higher-ups at the club say it's fine, but some reports indicate it might not be. So with that being said, I don't think we'll see much business in January, if any. So Toro will have to probably work with what he's got. The issue is, this is Liam Richardson's squad, right? Mm. He built it over the past couple of years and just this summer, possibly not out of choice, said these players got us here and we'll stick with them. So Tory has got to get this team, which is already struggling, getting results when they don't necessarily suit his style because we don't know what that style is. And they need to get results quickly because they're in trouble. It's very obvious that they're in trouble. So make no mistake about it. He's got one hell of a job on his hands. One thing that does give me confidence is the fact he had a rather cushy coaching job at Leicester, didn't he, working alongside Brendan Rodgers. If he thought his job, this job now, was a lost cause at Wigan, he wouldn't have taken it, would he? So he must see something in this job to make him move on from that, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's, it's a really good point to bring up. Um I think he's clearly got confidence in himself to to remove himself from that cushy job to go into a role that is potentially can do damage to a reputation for a manager. Um, you know, if, if Tory goes in there and it blows up in his face, will he get another opportunity after that? You'd think not. Um, so he's taken a massive, massive risk. So you've got to have confidence in your own ability to do that. Um, and you've got to give credit for Torre to, to, to pulling himself away from, as you quite rightly said, a, you know, a very nice job. Mick Beale did the same thing at Aston Villa to QPR and it, it went very well for him, obviously. Um, so Torre might be thinking this is a good opportunity for him to do the same. Wigan do have a good enough squad to stay in the Championship, so I think Torre might be seeing that as an advantage. I think the only concerns for me are obviously experience um, as a first-team manager, experience going into that scenario, obviously, Torre has been blessed by a very, very good playing career, playing for clubs that haven't had too many bad times, haven't had this threat of relegation, which could hold him back, which could impact his his mindset maybe a little bit. Um, so yeah, there there are obviously concerns, but I mean, so just seeing clips of him just being very, very happy, I'm, I'm quite positive that he can lift the mood at um, is it DW Stadium still? Anyway, I, I think he can lift the mood at Wigan quite quite quickly. One thing that does irritate me about this appointment is that whenever I type Torre on my phone, it instantly autocorrects it to your every single time. And that's going to get really, really irritating when it happens on Twitter all the time. Whenever I tweet about him and it comes up with Colo Your. Um, <laughs> so something I feel like Wigan should have considered before appointing him. But here we are. In 20th place, we have Nigel Pearson of Bristol City. Now, it's no secret that I'm not the biggest Nigel Pearson fan. He's... 
Certainly not the worst manager in the championship, but he's very far away from being someone who I would want in charge of my club. A lot of that is because I think his managerial career is overrated. His time at Leicester is what he's most known for, but they spent an awful lot of money in that time when he was there. And it took a while to actually get promoted. And then there isn't much success to be found from his various other spells at different clubs. It's the same at Bristol City. When he took over in 2021, they were 15th in the championship. That season, they finished 19th. Next season, they finished 17th. They now sit 18th. Where's the progress in the time that he's been there? They've got a 29% win rate under Nigel Pearson. Last season, they conceded the third most goals in the division. This season, it's the fourth most. Inconsistency, still a problem. Dropping points from winning positions, still a problem. What is the point in all this? I know some Bristol City fans like him, but why? (laughs) Are things getting better? No. He must have a way with words that helps him to keep getting jobs and keep him in jobs because as a manager, I don't see what he really brings to a football club. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you've got to respect what he's doing at Bristol City first. F- for starters, he's he's managing. He's had to manage a transition from a club who have spent ridiculous amounts of money on really well, average he's players. He's had two and a half years to do it now, Justin. All right, sure. How, how long do you give him? <laughs> well, this is this is my point because I've I've I think I've rated him lower than you have in this list. Um, I am I had him twenty first, which. I don't know where you had him, but he's gone down in my estimations because of his inability to iron out those errors that this Bristol City has been plagued with throughout his tenure at uh, well, at the club. Um, I disagree with you. I, I don't think he's been overrated in his career. I do think some of his achievements have been perhaps um, uh, exaggerated, maybe a little bit, but actually he did, he did do a very good job at Leicester City, but he had a lot of money to spend. There are... There are balances to that argument. Um, that being said, I, I do think um, Bristol City are at a point where um, it's potentially, the, I think it should just start, uh, be the start of a new chapter. They've got a, a good enough squad to at least be mid-table. I think they've got a good enough squad or good enough potential in that squad to then push higher. And I don't think Nigel Pearson is the man to direct him in that direction. Um, I think we've seen over the last couple of years that he's showing that he can't, he, he can't improve this team. He's got them in a good place um, and a good enough place for the uh, the baton to be to be handed over to a to a different coach with a with a different direction and a different philosophy. Well, I certainly agree that I think Bristol City are a club with lots of potential. Nigel Pearson's not getting that potential. So, I mean, we've been it's been something we've said repeatedly over these episodes over the last month or so. If Bristol City wants to try and reach that, reach that potential, then. Why not have a gamble, get a young, exciting coach in? But I just don't see that happening because they seem fairly set on Pearson being in charge. In 19th place, we've got Paul Ince of Reading. Now, we infamously put Paul Ince bottom of our list when we did this in the summer. Reading fans have very much enjoyed taking the mickey out of us for putting him there, considering their good start. I still think we were justified putting him there, considering his previous managerial record. And I don't think a good first 10 games of the season is enough to see him surge up this ranking table. But he's done a good job this season, and he? He's proved a lot of people wrong mm-hmm. who expected Reading to be in the bottom three all season. He gets players to run around a lot, which is essentially the Paul Ince way. Ince ball is run around more than the opposition, and you often get a result. I don't want to get too carried away with rating him as a manager because I still think there's every chance they could get relegated this season. But in the context of this list, I would not be a very excited man if Paul Ince was appointed as manager of my club. Having said that, I'll give him credit where it's due. He's done well so far. 
I disagree with you. I've he's won me over. He's won me over with his with his delightful charm. We've been poor lynched well and truly on the second tier. Um fans have grown to love him. I've grown to love him. Yes, he has his tactical limitations. Um but he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care. And I think that goes a long way. And I think that's the type of attitude Reading have needed this season because they haven't been uh, they haven't been a good footballing team, and that's not a discredit to them. They have relied on individuals to to um, not bail them out of games. That's the wrong way of saying it, but to put them in good positions in games. Um, and I mean, Paul Lynch's football is doesn't necessarily inspire, but he's getting those good players into those into those good areas. I have said in the past that he can do more to get to get more out of the likes of Lucas Shaw, Oviyajara. Etc. Etc. Um, but he's won me over. I've liked him. If he does videos saying you've been poor linced up the ding, etc., then he's then I'm all for him. I love him. You love him so much that you've put him <laughs> in the bottom quarter of your list, do you? I have to be sensible. <laughs> <laughs> if you love him, I, I don't know what you think of all the managers on this list. Uh, let's go to 18th place, Justin. Who have we got there? We've got Matt Taylor of Rotherham United. So, a fairly lofty place for a new manager coming to into the championship, and I think that's credit to him for doing a pretty steady job after what was a very long tenure from Paul Warren. He's not had to change too much. He said he doesn't want to change too much, and I think that continuity has been a huge positive for the Millers. Um, with subtle differences, I think should the squad improve, I think Rotherham can can improve under Taylor. Well, what we've seen of Matt Taylor so far says to me that he's a good young manager. He did a very good job at Exeter. Did he do so well that I would be excited if he was appointed as the manager at any other championship club? Probably not. But it is worth remembering he didn't have much to work with there and he'll have to do the exact same at Rotherham too. The problem is with Rotherham United, they seem to be a club who have a ceiling in the last decade. They've had five seasons in the championship, not including this one. And the highest they finished in that time is 21st. Now, you can point to the financial pulling power, but there have been clubs with similar budgets to them, like Luton, like Coventry, who have been able to progress as a football club while they haven't. So Matt Taylor could end up being a very good championship manager, but he'll have to get this club past that ceiling to show that for me, Justin. It's a fair argument to make, um, but I don't think you can... I don't think you can put Rotherham's limitations on his ability as a manager because, as I say, I think he's shown that he's... I mean, he excelled at Exeter City. Again, they're a team with a small budget. He turned them into a very big League 2 team and he set some solid foundations for them to have a very positive season this season under Gary Coldwell uh, in League 1. Um, and I think it's the same scenario with Paul Warren. Solid foundations for Matt Taylor to come in and take this team to the next level. What that next level is, is staying in the championship. So I think if he can keep the club in the championship, I think he's shown that he can step up. And I think he's shown that he's he's well worth potentially other jobs in the league. As I say, I don't think he has to do much for me to, to show that he's a capable manager in this division. I think he's starting to do it. Just maybe need to see a little bit more. But he is limited by Rotherham's ability to pull players into their squad um, in the transfer market um, and that's why I think again it just exemplifies potentially his quality as a manager I think he it is quite a good job for him because if Rotherham get relegated I don't think he'll be blamed for it and that is quite often 
quite often the case unless they absolutely bomb out the division like they did in 2016-17 or whenever it was. Um, whereas if he gets Rotherham to stay up in consecutive seasons, then that's a cracking job. But how you how do you progress the club from that point? That's the issue that has bugged them now for many, many years, isn't it? I hope we got 17th, Justin. We've got Tony Mowbray, the most mid-table or lower mid-table manager you could have in a list of managers you want at your club. And I think he's one of those managers that I think will go massively under the radar as to... I think we underestimate him. I think the more people underestimate him, the more he does well. So this will certainly play into Sunderland's hands. <laughs> One way of putting it, I suppose. <laughs> he, he's a great bridging manager, yeah, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. If, if you want to make the transition from newly promoted championship side to one pushing for the playoffs, he can do that. I find it difficult to believe he can do much more than that, though. I'd happily be proven wrong, but I just can't see it. I firmly believe he has a ceiling but his task will be exactly what I just said at Sunderland. Take them from newly promoted championship side to pushing for the playoffs. Might not necessarily happen this season. Might do because I fancy Sunderland to get better in the second half of the season. But at the same time, I think he'll get them there eventually. He's got a good record developing youngsters as well. Sunderland have got one of the younger squads in the division with plenty of young talent. And that would be one of his chief jobs, making them into very, very good championship players. Also play some nice football, which will never go amiss. Um, look at two of the goals that they've scored this season, both <laughs> unbelievable team goals. And uh, we'll expect to see more of that while Tony Mowbray is in charge of Sunderland. He also comes across as a very honest, humble, likeable chap as well. And that goes a long way if... Uh, I want this man in charge of my football club. So there's a lot of boxes ticked with Tony Mowbray. I just think he gets you so far and that's it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think something that we've not mentioned yet is uh, manager attire on the sidelines. What, you know, the sort of manager, what do you want them wearing on the sides? Um, now, I mean, we'll, we'll go to some options like Liam Rossini, for example, has got a lovely, lovely fade on his head, lovely, lovely haircut, you know, Gary Rowe with his jumpers or maybe not less so now. Matt Taylor has a good array of jumpers. Tony Mowbray's vest jumpers are, to be absolutely frank, terrible. Um, now, I think it's something that we should bring into the argument when we're discussing this. It may be something that people might not have considered, um, but it's just something I want to throw in there. Well, Vincent Company this season's been wearing a tracksuit jacket with, no, has he been wearing a blazer? with a hoodie underneath I can't remember yes. what it is off top blazer, of blazer hoodie cap yeah he's been he's really impressed me this season but his attire has certainly not impressed me maybe that's something that will hinder his position on this list let's have a quick break Justin after that we'll talk about the managers we've got from 16th to 11th as we rank all the managers in the championship Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're going through all the managers in the Championship and ranking them on how much we would want them at our club. So we are now at 16th in the ranking as we go from 24th to 1st, Justin. And in 16th, we've got John Dahl Thomason of Blackburn. And I really don't know what to make of John Dahl Thomason so far. Yeah, he's got results, but as we repeatedly say Blackburn have been more, more than fortunate on multiple occasions and I don't think his game plans help with that 
He sees out games because every time Blackburn have scored first in a game, they've won. On the other hand, every time Blackburn concede first in a game, they lose. Uh, that is statistical fact, by the way, if anyone's thinking I'm just being dramatic. That is literally what's happened in every single game this season. Whoever scores first in the Blackburn game goes on to win. It's very bizarre. But I think some Blackburn supporters get a bit frustrated because of how they see out games. It's not always the most convincing, which is probably one of the reasons why their expected goals is so poor. A good example of that is the Huddersfield game, their last home game, in fact. Blackburn sat back for the last 20 minutes and just invited pressure onto themselves. So, as I was referring to earlier, their ways of seeing out leads have been effective so far, but I'm not sure it will continue to be as effective. They definitely don't create enough chances in games either for them to maintain their current lofty position in the table. So, is John Dahl Thomason a good manager? The jury's well and truly out on that front. Blackburn fans may say that's a strange thing to say when he's got this team third in the table, when not many people are expecting much from them this season. But we'll see what they have to say when they almost inevitably slide down the table as the season progresses, Justin. <laughs> oh, yes. Nothing nothing like uh, inflammatory language to, to get people a bit saucy. Um, but I think you're quite right. And I think if you compare it to our list at the start of the season, I don't think John Tal, John Dahl Thomas has moved. I think we had him around 16th, 17th then, um, which just goes to show that we're still unsure about him. Um, as you quite rightly say, winning games, they can see games out or can, can just about see games out. And obviously when they go behind, they can't get back into games. The game plan against Burnley showcased perhaps maybe some some red flags um, for John Tal Thompson. Sheffield United set the blueprint of how to play against um, Burnley the week before. Um, and John Dahl Thompson said they, they had that in mind yet we saw no semblance of that Sheffield United performance in, in that um, in that performance from, from Blackburn against Burnley. So there's clearly um, clearly some room for improvement. Um, I think positives are that he's, he's, he has got some good stuff being played. He's bled a lot of youngsters as well. Adam Wharton's been been brilliant. Um, Scott Wharton has come on in leaps and bounds. I know he's not a youngster, but he was uh, yeah, sort of on the fringes, on the periphery at Rovers. Um, and, and certain players have... have Taken on the mantle of of being a first team, um, or one of the one of the go to players like Lewis Travis, for example, um, he has improved players. But have I been impressed by Blackburn this season? No. Have I been impressed by the results? Yes. They've got to third in the table by doing what they they've been doing, but the performances have been have left a lot to be desired. They certainly have, haven't they? Um, I hadn't really considered how well he's done with breeding through the next generation at Blackburn, which does deserve credit because a lot of the young players there have been very impressive. Um, it's just everything else, isn't it? <laughs> uh, how well they've been playing, which hasn't been very well. Um, and that continues to be the reason why we think they'll fall down the table. So in 15th place, Justin, we've got Liam Rosinia of Hull. I really like Liam Rosinia as a coach and I feel a bit bad for not having him higher. I think his potential as a manager is as high as any other manager in the championship. Mm -hmm. He's got a great reputation as a coach anyway. He speaks extremely well in the media, comes across as a great thinker of the game and a great man manager. The only thing that's missing so far is the proof in the pudding. His short spell in charge of Derby was all right, and we haven't seen enough of him yet in charge of Hull. 
So I think we'll find out more about how good a manager Rosinha is over the coming months. There have been plenty of examples of guys who are great coaches, but when they step up to the manager's role, they're not nearly as good. What we can say is when he was the assistant to Wayne Rooney at Derby, it was more of a double act, wasn't it? Rather than Rooney being the one making all the big decisions. You could tell that by Rosinha being the one shouting instructions from the touchline all the time and Rooney kind of just standing there. Um, <laughs> Derby were good last season, despite eventually succumbing to relegation and nearly pulled off the impossible by staying up despite a 21-point deduction. And we gave Rooney a lot of praise for that when actually a lot of praise should have been possibly directed to Rosinha. Who knows how much praise it should have been, but I think he's overseeing an exciting project at Hull and they've made a smart choice by appointing him. Yep, love Rosinha. Um I think he's a brilliant coach. I think he's got the potential to be um, a top flight coach, no doubt about that. Um, I just think my, my hesitations with Rosinha is that lack of experience and him going into a scenario with Hull where there's a lot of work that needs to be done. He's got a good squad available to him, but... I think on their, their trip to Turkey, their, their camp to Turkey uh, during the World Cup break, they've taken 30 players and they've still left players at home. The players that have been left at home have been told that they can leave and I'm sure there'll be a few more players that um, will be told that they need to leave that have gone with them to Turkey. So I think rossini has got a lot of work to do to refine a squad and get into a position where he can excel, which is why I think Hull will not necessarily improve this season, probably stay around where they are. And they will go through the motions under Rossini, but they'll certainly be on the right track. And as I say, I don't think you can really judge him with this team until he's got the team in a place where he wants it to be, um, which is why I don't think you can really judge his derby spell with too much criticism or even too much praise just because that squad was nowhere near where he wanted it to be either. He did a good job of what he had. He did a good job at recruiting a squad in a very short period of time after Rooney shafted derby. Um, I think he deserves a lot of praise for that. And I think the small sample size we saw with Derby earlier this season with him as head coach was good. It was good. Um, a lot of potential there, but we just need to see a little bit more. I love the anger when you <laughs> speak about Wayne Rooney as Derby manager. Now, in 14th place, we've got Mick Beale, of course, formerly of Queen's Park Rangers. Now, Justin Peach, you put Beale bottom of your list, which mm. I thought was amazingly harsh. I know he's not covered himself mm. in glory recently, but to say you'd rather have any other manager in the division over him is a bit overdramatic. Why would I want to be why would I want to put myself in a position where I have a partner who is is very nice to me. We're happy, but they're always looking for somebody else. That would make me unhappy. That would make me sad. Now, why do I, why would I want a head coach in charge of my football club who's doing exactly the same thing, just flirting with other clubs all the time? Loyalty goes a hell of a long way in football, especially as a supporter. Um, so if I've got a disloyal head coach in charge of my football club, why on earth would I get behind them? Um, Bill spoke a lot about wanting to see out the project, getting people to buy into the project at QPR. Three weeks, three weeks later, he he goes, he leaves, he leaves that project. Um, I'm trying to think of ways not to swear when putting that into a sentence. Um, but he's basically just hopped in his car stuck the middle finger up to Loftus Road and driven off which is a massive much uh, shame because I thought QPR were going places under him still think QPR are in a very good position to 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 crack on this season for a promotion push just got to appoint the right man Beal loyalty goes a long way um, for me that's why I put him bottom 
Well, you speak about loyalty. You put Gary Rowe at sixth in your list. When he was at Derby, he said, I've always wanted the Derby job. It's my dream job. I'm massively committed to finally getting this team back into the Premier League. And he was at Stoke a year later. You also uh, had Alex Neal seventh. And need I say any more about him? So I don't really see what you mean about loyalty, Justin, when there's other managers who have also shown disloyalty. Okay, well, the Gary Rowett situation was, wasn't was handled very well by Mel Morris. Mel Morris told him he had no money to spend. So, of course, you're going to be prompted to leave to a club that's showing more ambition. I know Mel Morris then brought in Frank Lampard and basically bankrupted the club that season under Frank Lampard. Um, but those were the you know, those were the reasons Gary Rowett wasn't promised money. He left. I've got no qualms with that. Um, Alex Neal's situation is a bit messy. I can't defend that. But at the same time, Gary Rowett went to a job which looked more promising, Mick Beale's going to a job that's more promising, isn't it? Because yeah, but, yeah, Rangers, but Gary, Rangers are a bigger club than QPR, let's be honest. Yeah, but Gary Rowett didn't say this three weeks before he left. He said this he still, a year. He still said, he said this a year before and then situation changed. Whereas with Beale, he jumped ship at the literally the first sign of it. And in fact, he was seen at the Aberdeen game just a few weeks ago. So this was a, a week after saying what he said. It, it's just not, it just doesn't, it doesn't look reflect very well on Beal at all. And it's completely different to this route situation. I'm not sure it is. Uh, admittedly, there's a big difference in time frame, but I, I still think you defending other managers for you know going on to what they perceive to be better career opportunities is exactly the same as what Beal's done, really. Um, not defending him, because I think it was pathetic for him to say that and then go on to do it, but I still think... At the same time, you've got to accept that he's doing what he thinks is best for his career. Also, a month ago, for our friends at Fansbet, you picked Mick Beale as the best manager in the championship. Yeah. A month ago, he didn't. He wasn't flirting with Rangers and he didn't jump ship. I, I rate Mick Beale incredibly highly as a head coach. But as I say, loyalty goes a hell of a long way in wanting someone at a football club that I support. Alex Neal, seventh. Yeah. Alex Neal gets the stay of execution. That makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> I put my position, um, his position in my table based off his reputation as a coach and how well he's done at QPR so far. So despite them seemingly running out of steam before the World Cup break, they're still seventh and have had a great start. Plus, he's largely credited with being one of the main reasons why Rangers were so successful under Steven Gerrard and Villa were fairly successful in the short time Beale was there too. So... It wouldn't surprise me to see his move to Rangers going up in flames because Rangers fans don't seem completely enamoured by that appointment. It also wouldn't surprise me to see him managing in the Premier League in the next few years because he is a very, very highly rated coach. So if you wouldn't have Mick Beale at your club, Justin, I think you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. No, um, I'm, I'm staying, I'm sticking to some really important values I have whether I become an owner of a football club or not. Um, and as I say, loyalty is massive. And if you're showing um, intentions to leave the club straight after saying you'll stay for the foreseeable, um, you've got, you haven't got a leg to stand on, unfortunately. Is ambition also important to you? Ambition is important. Yeah, absolutely. If a manager wants to show ambition, why can't you show it to the club that I've employed you to, to be a part of? Because more money? Uh... No. More career opportunities. Is there? Mm, okay. I'm not sure what... I think you're defending the indefensible here. But anyway, we'll move on. In 13th place, we've got Dean Smith 
at Norwich. And it's the age-old question now with him, isn't it? How good a manager is Dean Smith? And I don't think we've got a definitive answer on this point. <laughs> Brentford spell, good. Made them into an established championship side. Played some good football. Possibly, considering the players he's had, could have gone a bit better. Villa spell, good. Got them into the Premier League. Had a hell of a lot of money, though. And probably could have done more with that, too. Norwich, he was never going to keep them up. They sit in the playoffs right now, but I don't see them going up automatically. It feels a bit like he's out of his depth there, doesn't it? So in answer to the question of how good a manager Dean Smith is, I think you're looking at top half championship side, possibly QPR, for example. I think that would actually be the perfect Mm, job for all parties. Is it going to happen? Probably not, but the point's been made. I don't think Norwich will go up with Dean Smith in charge, but he's not a bad manager by any means. He's just good isn't he yeah I like him as a head coach I like him as a he's a very I I do think he's a likeable guy I think he comes across well in the media the way he breaks down games he's very he's very succinct and um, you know he's he's, he's, uh, very descriptive Um, so in his post-match presses he's very very good he as I say comes across very well and again if you just assess his three spells uh, three spells in the championship um, Brentford performed two expectations Villa performed two expectations Norwich performing below expectations um, and I think that's just where he's at I think with, with the Brentford um, aspect he, he improved players massively um, at Villa had a lot of money to spend so I think it's quite hard to um, to really judge him on that spell and obviously Norwich are underperforming so yeah I'm sort of neither here nor there with Dean Smith I like him I would have him at my club um, but I would probably choose other head coaches or managers ahead of him he doesn't surpass expectations, does he? Yeah, exactly. That's the one yeah. thing we can say with him. He's just he's just a good manager. Does what it says good. on the tin with Dean Smith. Basically, yes. That mm. is it. Um, let's move on to 12th, Justin. Who we got? We've got Rob Edwards, which, looking back, it may be a little bit generous. Obviously, Rob Edwards of Luton Town now, not Watford. Um, and again, we would have had him relatively low in our pre-season predictions with Watford. Um which also makes you think, why is he a little bit higher with this Luton aspect? And it's probably down to the fact that other managers maybe have shown that they ha- they maybe aren't as good as him or um, don't have as much potential as him. Um, but I think with Watford's spell, it's quite hard to definitively look at him and go, yeah, he did a good job. Yeah, he did a bad job. Um, so it's, you really look at his Forest Green Rovers spell <laughs> and judging him on it, which we've already done. Um, but I think the reason why I would have him higher on this list is because of what he could do with Luton Town, with the potential he has with this um, this setup at Luton Town. I'm really excited to see where they can go into him. I think he's a more progressive, more attacking-minded coach than Nathan Jones, which might unlock a little bit more out of a team that already creates a lot of chances. Um, so as I say, it's really hard to, to really pass a judgment on him, but it's more down to excitement, I think. It's the glamour of it rather than the actual logic of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. He, I've said it before, he is suffering from the Gary Rowett paradox, which is because he got unfairly sacked, he is seen in a much better light than he probably Mm -hmm. should be. And other championship pundits, similar to us, might actually have Rob Edwards quite a bit higher on their list because of that. What we've seen from him so far, it's still a very short managerial career and it was very good at Rob Edward, uh, at Forest Green, sorry. It was very promising. But in the final third, it faded away and Watford, we didn't really learn anything new about him. So 
he's a he, he's exciting young coach. Um, I'm not as convinced on him as I am other managers who are also young, exciting British coaches. But we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he can do. Because, as we say, in the first two thirds of that spell at Forest Green, they were excellent, weren't they? Before it just seemed to run out of steam a bit. And now he's got a kind of blank canvas at Luton to really take this club into the Premier League and make them into a really, really um, impressive force considering their budget. Um, And he speaks really well in the media as well. I'm talking kind of Liam Mazzinia levels at how well he speaks in the (laughs) media because he's fantastic to hear from. Um, And he's also really, really handsome, which... (laughs) when it comes to how much I want a manager at my club. If he's really <laughs> handsome, I only see that as a box ticked. Uh, let's go on to 11th, Justin, the final one from this episode. It's Gary Rowett at Millwall. Now, Justin, you had them. You had Gary Rowett quite high on your mm-hmm. list. I had him quite a bit lower, and I'll explain why. Barring that spell at Stoke, Gary Rowett is extremely good at consistently meeting the minimum expectation. Because think about it, he did it at Birmingham, Derby, Millwall. In those three spells, I don't think he had one season where he underperformed or overperformed. He just meets what's required of him. It's quite an impressive skill, really, because there haven't been many managers at this level, if any, who have managed to do it so consistently for quite a long time now. And it kind of sums up how I'd feel if I was your average fan of a championship club and Gary Rowett was the new manager of my club. Would I be underwhelmed? Would I be overwhelmed? No, I'd just be whelmed. He gets results. <laughs> I wouldn't be too enamoured with the style of play, but that's what you have to accept with Gary Rowett, isn't it? It's more about results with him. And you don't appoint him for that do you you appoint him to get results and for that reason maybe he should be a bit higher on this list because he manages to meet the bare expectations of what you set him but I struggle to bring myself to do it um, having him higher in this list because I think there were just other managers I'd be more excited by having at my club if you see what I mean yeah Garrett Rowett isn't a manager who you look at and go go and get him Go and get him. You do whatever you can. Go and get him. Spend four million pound in conversation. Just get him to our club, um, and that's partly down, partly down, to, you know, because of his ability to just meet minimum expectations. Um, he is a results-based manager. He's not a, a style of play manager. I think you know, when we've spoken to um, to Millwall fans in the past, they have got bored of route ball. I've criticised it at times as well. I'll happily admit that being a um, viewer of route ball at times yes it can be sticky and boring but it gets results it gets to where your objectives at a football club need to be so if I'm employing him I know he will get to uh, I know he'll get my football club to where they want to be I might be a little bit disappointed at times as a supporter um, but I know he will achieve things the reason why I add him so highly in the list is because he's done it so consistently um, as you as you pointed out there aren't too many managers who can do that at a championship level if any who can consistently meet what's required of them um to do that for you know if we look at his Birmingham Millwall spells do that at clubs with limited budgets compared to the teams they're competing with I think is quite um you know quite astounding he probably underachieved at Derby with the budget that they had they should have certainly been close to the automatics in the finishing sixth um which was disappointing overall but as I say 
what he's done with Millwall over the past few years, the way he's transitioned them to a team who are steady, and even this season going to a 4-2-3-1 and becoming more attacking, I think is certainly worth a few more points in my eyes, or a few more places, um, which is why I had him sort of fifth or sixth in my list. Yeah, maybe he should be higher. I was thinking back to when West Brom were linked with appointing him, and I thought to myself, yeah, that doesn't really inspire confidence too much. And that was the one thing that really stuck in my mind as to why I had him a bit lower in my list than you did, Justin. Maybe he's underrated by mm. us and just general championship fans. And maybe at one point we may look back on his managerial career and go, you know what, he was underappreciated and he's was actually a good manager. Uh, I don't know. He, as, as we say, it's a quite impressive skill to consistently meet expectations. Mm. But similar to other managers we've mentioned, he doesn't do much more than that, does he? Yeah, I think you're just whelmed. You're just whelmed, aren't you? You're, yeah. never, you're not over-enamoured. You're not underwhelmed. You're just, you're just flatlining with Gary Rowan. And I think that's fine. I think you did exactly the same thing as many fans would have done if, if their club was linked with Gary Rowan. But... On the face of it, I think Garrett would be a very good appointment for 20 teams in this league, at the very least. Yeah, when you put it like that, maybe he should be higher in the list. I don't know. It's really hard to call <laughs> into it where he should be. Uh, anyway, we'll leave that there, shall we? No news in this episode. This is the final midweek show where we won't be doing a news roundup with Championship Football returning. And therefore, that means it's time for this. Did Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a little game we like to call Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and Justin's to provide the players with the scores 63-58 to my colleague, not a very big gap, considering I have a go in hand. So I have a great chance here to create some breathing space between myself and Justin. So uh, I'm ready to go, baby. Let's have the first one, JP. The first one is coming right up. Brett Pittman in Bristol City. Yes. You're quite right. 20 goals and 77 appearances. It was a, a, a stint that completely passed me by, which is why I put it in. I had no idea he played for Bristol City. That's the one club I associate him with. <laughs> Not Ipswich or Bournemouth? Possibly Bournemouth. But I, yeah, I definitely remember him being at, at uh, uh, Bristol City. In fact, 70 appearances might be the most appearances any player we've selected for Diddy and Dinty actually made. I just had to put him in because I had no idea. But fair enough. You've made me look a mug. Not for the first time. Next one, please. <laughs> Peter Ramage in Coventry City. Yes. Peter Ramage's career, don't know it too well, apart from Palace and Newcastle, but he might have passed through there at some point. I can picture him in a Coventry shirt for some reason. I don't know why, because he only made four appearances in 2016. Hmm. How old is he now? I think he's a coach either at Palace or Newcastle, or even somewhere more random. He comes across as one of those players who might actually be a lot younger than I actually think he is. Obviously, he's not playing anymore, but you see what I mean. Two out of two for me so far. Mm. Next one, please, Justin. Bobby Reid and Plymouth. Yes. <laughs> really? I'm not sure if Justin's just going for the old Plymouth is nearby to Bristol and therefore Bobby Reid passed through there, but I think he did. 
Are you sure? No, but I'm going to say yes. You'd be correct. He had several loan spells in between 2014 and 2015 there. There we go. Um, what number is that, Justin? That was number three. That was number three. Sorry, for some reason I thought we had four. Um, three out of three for me so far. This is going very well. Joe Garner and Watford. <laughs> have you <laughs> have you tried to trip me there by making you think, uh, making me think you said James Garner? Because James Garner, of course, did play for Watford. Um, and I, on so many occasions when James Garner so was many. playing in the championship, <laughs> said Joe Garner instead of James Garner. Um, did Joe Garner play for Watford? Uh, I think he did. I'm not sure. 100% sure, sure, but I'm going to say that he did. Jay Garner, Watford. Yes or no? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, 24 appearances uh, and one goal between... He played for them between uh, 2011 and 2013, which was sort of quite late. That is quite late. Mm. They were like, pushing for the Premier League around that time, weren't they? They were getting to that point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Four out of four. Exceptionally well so far. Yeah, yeah. Lee Tomlin and Bournemouth is your next one, though. Yep. One million percent. Well, he made six appearances in 2015. Yeah. When they were in I the remember. Premier League. I remember that. Weird, weird one I found out. But they spent enough. a lot of money on him, on him as well. It's like three and a half million, I think. Yeah. yeah, which was a lot of money back in the time when he did play for them. But there you mm. go. <laughs> uh, that's five out of five. Yeah. Yeah, okay. oh, you're doing very well. You're doing very well indeed. Leon Best and Brighton, though. Yep. Do you remember that one as well? Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, he had a loan spell in 2015. with 15 appearances for them. Yeah, I think he, for some reason, I remember him, the three clubs I remember him playing for, four clubs, actually, Newcastle, Blackburn, Coventry and Brighton. And Derby as well, actually. He's played for a lot of clubs. Yeah. Um, well, next one, please, Justin. Paddy Kenny and Crystal Palace. Ooh, I was going to dive in and say yes then, but I don't think he did, actually. Of course, Warnock was there, which is the obvious link. But I can't recall when that would have happened, so I'm going to say no. I'm sure. I'm sure. You'd be correct. You stayed at Sheffield United. This is what I tried to do with Sean Derry a couple of weeks ago, but I cocked it up. But I double-checked with this one. <laughs> seven out of seven? Yeah. I don't want to get too carried away, ladies and gentlemen, but a great chance for me to get the first full marks of the season. Next one is Danny Ward and Bolton Wanderers. Danny Ward, the forward, not the goalkeeper. I was thinking of Stephen Ward when uh, you first said it. Uh, Danny Ward and Bolton. Uh, no, he played for Rotherham and Cardiff. Won't be able to tell you who else he played for. I'll say no. He's being correct. He came through at Bolton and made two appearances in 2009. Can't recall it. Don't know his yeah. career prior to Cardiff, I'm afraid. Or Rotherham, whichever one he was at first. Mm. Yes, I finally got one ticked in my box. The next one is Neil Etheridge and Charlton. Yeah, he's been around the block quite a bit. I'd say why not. Don't recall it happening, but it seems like the kind of move he would have made. You don't deserve the points that you get for this nonchalant <laughs> attitude to your approach. Um, he hasn't been around the block for a bit. I think this is only one of his four clubs that he's played for and he made two appearances in 2015. You scumbag. 
I thought he was loaned all over the shop. Am I thinking nope. of someone else? Maybe I am. Uh, eight out of nine. To round up a brilliant round, here's the final question. Gary Medine in Sunderland. <sighs> Gary Medine. Um, um, obviously, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. And plenty of other clubs along the way. Bolton. Don't remember him playing for Sunderland, though. I don't even know when that would have happened either, so I'm going to say no. You are correct. He did not play for Sunderland. Came through at Carlisle. I was hoping he might trip you up with a slight northeast or northwest, northern uh, accent, but no. You're you're so annoyed right now, aren't you? I can Mm -hmm. just tell. Nine out of ten. That is a cracking score from me. And that means the scores, ladies and gentlemen, are... 67 63 to me we're finally finding a bit of breathing space here on Diddy or Didn't He this season for the first time as well if it wasn't for which one did I get wrong it was Danny Ward Bolton. Danny bloody Ward he's cost me a, a remarkable achievement to get full marks but there we go I'll take nine points 67 63 for me in Diddy or Didn't He this week uh, and I'm very chuffed with that and I hope you've been very chuffed with this episode ladies and gentlemen because this has been the second tier we'll be back again on Sunday for an hour long preview of Sunderland v Millwall I'm joking we'll touch on that game very briefly before rounding off our top 10 managers in the championship as well as talking about some of the news from the past week or so in the second tier so we look forward to seeing you then this has been the second tier podcast i've been ryan dilks i've been justin peach and a big huge thank you for listening (laughs) 